listening to BC Museum Portraits, and I'm project manager Spencer Stewart. In this episode, we'll be speaking with manager of the Alberni Valley Museum, Kirsten Smith. Kirsten, thank you very much for taking the time to sit down with me and talk about the uh, Alberni Valley Museum. How did you get involved with museums and, and specifically with this museum in Archive? This museum, I actually grew up in Port Alberni. I didn't think I'd ever live here. I was going to be an architect and that was going to happen in a big city, but as my career progressed, this is where the opportunities were. So the first came, I did my undergrad at UBC. And then I did museum studies there at MOA, and they had an internship for the summer, and they sent me here. I, in, in relation to that program, I got to come here. There were two of us. We spent the summer. My, uh, my summer uh, project is still here. It's a, the exhibit on the West Coast Trail, which is still there under the stairs with the working telegraph. And then I went to architecture school. But by the time I'd finished architecture school, I just found that I felt at home in museums and that's where it's going to be. But I was always more interested in the design aspect. I had an internship with the Vancouver Museum. CMC sent me on an internship. I had a six-month internship in India, working at uh, Dakshinashitra, which is an outdoor architectural museum. And then Jean McIntosh, who was the director here, had a grant opportunity and she brought me back for the Millennial Exhibit in 2000. But then they just kept me on and they knew they were developing a new position. So they developed a new position, the assistant curator, which they hired me for, whose main responsibility was dealing with McLeanville National Historic Site. So out there I got to do a lot of uh, the furnishing plans and exhibits as well as the historic restoration work. And then in 2010 I took over the collections curator job here at the Alberni Valley Museum. Mm -hmm. The early years of the collection, what were the nature of the collections? How did, how did the communities decide to go about making a museum? Walk us through that history a bit. There was a society at the beginning, the Alberni District Museum and Historical Society, and they started collecting all the old stuff, photos and archival materials as well as artifacts. They stored them in the post office at the time, they didn't have a building. This building that we're in, Echo 67 Community Center was built as part of the centennial and the amalgamation of both the cities of Alberni and Port Alberni. And uh, so it's a community center and the museum portion opened to the public in 1973 and by that time they had professional staff. With the society, if we look at, I don't know what their mandate was, but if I look at what they have collected, there is a lot of the more pioneer artifacts that we saw. In the early 70s, there was a lot of collecting Archivally, they took a lot of photographs from other archives, just local work, just to get that baseline, which we still use as research material today, but not as in terms of collections. But when the professional staff came on, we see more of an increase in collecting the First Nations work, collecting it specifically, buying the works as well as commissioning the works. There's some pieces in the collection, a bent wood box, a button blanket that were made especially for the museum. In the early 80s, they expanded the building. The gallery space was probably doubled. They added the temporary exhibit galleries as well as more workspace. And at that time, the decision was made to become a visible storage museum. With the collections they had, they felt that was the best way 
to represent that collection. And the staff at that time also had trained at MOA, so we had that connection to that visible storage system and understanding of that. And it's been a, a visible storage museum ever since. We have little interpretive nodes. There are places within the museum that are more interpretive, but most of it is in visible storage. Are you still developing the collection at, at this point? And if so, what are some areas that you're you're focusing on? The mandate has just, it's, it's always put up in collecting the Alberni Valley, but it's just gotten tighter into what we collect that we're not in terms of the area, but in terms of how deep that connection is with the artifact. Instead of that's a nice old dress that somebody may have worn here, we want to know the history of it and how it came to be here. Just because space is so tight that we're getting pickier about what we accept. At the moment we actually have a collections moratorium on. Just lack of staff to process what we have and lack of space to put all that stuff. But having said that, we still are aware of areas that are need more development. In terms of cultures in the town, we have quite a substantial First Nations collection within the museum. This was a mill town and it attracted people from many different cultural backgrounds and they're not necessarily represented here. There was a large Italian community. There is, right now, there is an Indian, as in Southeast Asia, Indian community that isn't represented in the museum the Filipino community. We have a few from like the Ukraine community. There's one or two pieces from the Scottish community. There are small bits, but it's not nicely developed. And knowing that there are a vast array of cultures in the town that make up the community, they aren't all equally represented in the museum. Mm. Are there efforts to try and, and, and bridge that gap to reach out to those communities? At the moment, we're just dealing with the collections that we have. We still have a more of a passive collection at the moment. Mm. Every once in a while there may be a, something specific that comes out that is purchased, but for the most part, the collecting got to stand still at the moment. Yeah. So you have the, the open storage portion of the collection. Right now there's a, an exhibition relating to tattoos and in indigenous culture set up by the, uh, the Bill Reed Gallery. How do you go about building exhibitions within the museum? What's your process? I finally start them in a couple different ways. Exhibits are my favorite part. Of course with the architecture background, yeah. that's, I love the designing of it. I find they work best. The best ones are always when we have a collaboration of a whole bunch of people working on it. We don't always get that luxury. Sometimes it's just you trying to put an exhibit on. And they start in different areas. We start, sometimes it's with a collection or an object. We have, we, the Emily Carr was donated, the Emily Carr of Sprout Lake, and we were fascinated by that, and knowing that Emily Carr stayed at Clitza Lodge at Sprout Lake, we developed an entire exhibit then about Port Alberni, uh, before the road to Tofino. Port Alberni was the end of the line, and people would come stay in the Canadian wilderness and go hiking and fishing and painting. So that sort of started with one object that grew into a bigger idea. Sometimes it's a whole collection. We've had a couple of exhibits, the art collection, which doesn't get displayed that often because it's not in the visible storage system. So we salon style did the whole gallery with paintings top to bottom. We called that picturing Alberni. We followed it up a few years later with dressing Alberni, which was the costume collection. But sometimes they come from just ideas. Uh, we did one on pirates, Treasure Island to Vancouver Island, which was a collaboration with our staff and then our summer students participated and the high school students wrote things on modern piracy. We also have different collaborators. We've had guest curators come in who bring an idea 
there was a, a couple of business partners who have this massive video game collection, so we developed an exhibit on the social history of video games. Very popular because you could come in and play all those old video games. And then we have the Heritage Commission. I think of them as a board, but they, they advise City Council on museum matters and heritage, and they asked for an exhibit celebrating 150 years since the Anderson Mill. That was uh, the first export mill in BC that was here, and the start of the sort of settled part that became Port Alberni. And it had come at a time when there had been a spate of anniversary exhibits, and had also just done an exhibit at McLean Mill on the history of sawmilling in the valley. So how are we going to develop this into an exhibit? And looking at the histories and reading them, there was a particular incident where they wanted to put the mill and we're in confrontation with the First Nations and there were two very distinct viewpoints, but they were both from the white settler viewpoint. Mm -hmm. And we really wanted to know the other side of that story, which was the First Nations. And Jean McIntosh, who was the director at the time, then developed a group to develop that. We worked with a professor from the college who wrote the BC history side of it. And then we invited both the First Nations, the Shishat and the Hupacheset are the two First Nations that are in this area. The Shashat just has more people, so they're often more able to bring someone. So they had two advisors who came and helped us develop this exhibit, which became just a snapshot of the, the valley in 1860. The people who were living here, these new settlers who were coming in, as well as the First Nations that had established and lived that life. Hmm. What are some exhibitions that are on your mind at the moment? What are some stories that, that you're thinking of? Uh putting, building an exhibition around for the future? We have coming up in the summer of 22, Artist Invitational. We did one in 2018 and it worked very well. This is an example of community curators, people who are coming in saying this is what we want to do. So we worked with them and they invite artists from Vancouver Island and sort of the Gulf Islands, Sunshine Coast, and they have a jury and get the art pieces and then they bring them to the museum and we display them. And they, they were actually for sale, both the artists and us made some money through the commissions. And it was really quite successful, people enjoyed just coming to look at it, some of the pieces were sold. Mm -hmm. And then we decided we'd do it every other year. And then COVID hit <laughs> and we've cancelled it for two years in a row, so it's finally going to come back next year. Have there been research projects that have made use of the collection to work on publications or other projects? Most of the research projects that we engage in usually are related to some sort of project that we're working on. Usually it's an exhibit of some sort. A couple that I've worked on, one is at McLean Mill that we did a simple map on the wall. McLean Mill shipped, we know it shipped lumber in different places all over the world and there was always a story about it. It was used to build the docks in London but that was the story. Where is the archival evidence? So I went through all the shipping records to find out where all that material, all the wood went to, where it got shipped and when it got shipped. At the beginning it's just a journal with somebody's handwriting in it and then as it time goes on it developed into more formal sheets. At that point I could hand it over to a student so we had a student go through and pull all that data of all the shipping records. So we had a huge spreadsheet of it and then by the time you analyze the data and figure out where it went which was this much research that then just becomes one simple map on the wall to explain this is where the lumber went. Yeah. So projects like that. There's been others in the basket collection has had extensive research and interviews with the basket weavers. You have a moratorium at the moment with the collection, but 
What are some items that have come into the collection recently that, that have been surprising or, or excite you or open up a new avenue in the story of the region? One piece that I've actually just put it out on display is an art piece. Uh, the art collection isn't often on display, it's usually only for special exhibit, but this one piece I just love the way it connects the histories in the town. So it's a painting by a local artist, Kelly Foxcroft Poirier, and it was part of the centennial exhibit. The Twin Cities of Alberni and Port Alberni turned 100, and there was a year-long celebration, and in partnership with the Community Arts Council, there was an art exhibit. So artists were given a, a historical photo from the museum, randomly, and then they used that as inspiration to create a piece. And Kelly's piece is one of our iconic views of the city, which is up the main street, up Argyle Street, up to Aerosmith. Mount Aerosmith, it's actually in the neighboring district, but we think of it as our mountain, because it looks over the valley, we see it all the time. And so she's created a piece, and it has sort of that black and white photograph underneath it. But then she has overlaid on top of it, she is half Shashat, so the Shashat history. So at the bottom, because at the base of Argyle Street is where Wolf Ritual Village was. I won't try to pronounce it in New Channel for you. So she has painted this on the bottom and then painted in the figures for the wind and about Mount Aerosmith and their view and has talks about the colonialism of the area too. But one, it's a lovely painting. She's a lovely painter. It's a, a nice piece. But it also combines those two histories together so that we see both the settler history and the First Nation history intertwined in one piece, which we don't often see here. What are some hopes and aspirations for the, the museum, and, and maybe what are some of the challenges or obstacles uh, in the way of achieving those goals? Being a visible storage museum, one of the things we're really looking at now is developing uh, a new way to access that collections. Right now we have catalog books, when you flip through the catalog books, and there's a different catalog page for every object that's on the shelf, but we're just sort of to tidy that up and streamline that so that people can access things from home as well as from in the gallery. That's, that's what we're exploring at the moment. We don't know how we're going to do that yet. We're hoping for something like up in the textile gallery to have a touch screen experience. With the textiles, they lay flat in drawers. So just in the spring we had a massive project rearranging them and we took them all out and cleaned the cases and redid the cataloging but importantly we photographed them on mannequins so that you can see what they look like or with all the pieces together instead of just a shirt or a pants so we're hoping that with this touchscreen experience in the textile gallery that you can see extra photographs not just hey there it's lying flat in the drawer but here's what it would look like some of them aren't that different and some of them are drastically, like you put it on the mannequin and you're like, oh, this, like it, it gives a very different experience of it. We're at the point where we've collected and everything's full and we're looking at the gallery. Part of it is the lighting system. We have a large new channel plasticity section at the front of the museum, which we're quite proud of the, the collection itself. But being quite sensitive to light and being a visible storage museum, it's constantly on display. We're looking at ways to limit the light on that, and it's still in discussion. Do we rotate them through? Do we step back from visible storage and just rotate some baskets through so they're not on display so much? Or do we revamp the museum so that we take the thing that's in the dark and put it 
further back into the museum where we can have better control of the light levels mm. so that it can be quite dim or just on a, a motion detector access or something so that it's only lit when it's needed to be. Right, so it's a real a sort of technical consideration, thinking of within the space. Yeah. You really have continued to be an architect in a way, thinking about how it moves through. Always thinking about space. Yeah. yeah. Kirsten, thank you very much for taking the time uh, and sitting down with me and speaking about uh, the history of the museum. Thank you. This has been another BC Museum Portrait. BC Museum Portraits is done in partnership with the BC Museum Association. To hear more portraits and view the accompanying images made by project photographer Tayu Hayward, please go to museum.bc.ca. Thank you very much for listening. Until next time.